Welcome to the MTB Tribe Podcast, your trail map for the world of mountain biking. And now, I'll introducing your host, Gareth Beckett. Howdy, mountain bikers. Thanks for being here, and welcome to episode 137 of the MTB Tribe Podcast. I'm here as always to help you find out more about mountain biking, how to go on the trails, keep you stoked and hopefully learn a little more about mountain biking and the people involved. So thanks for being here with us this week on the podcast. I do appreciate you tuning in over these difficult times and I hope it's not too hard for you and you're maybe able to sneak a little trail ride here and there on your doorstep. So let's jump into today's episode. Today we are chatting with Monica Mixova on her life's journey. Now, Monica's journey to mountain biking has taken a little strange turn here and there, but it's such an interesting story. And this episode is really her life's journey from being a track cyclist and representing her country in the national championships in Mexico to how she got involved with mountain bikes and downhill racing and everything in between that. It's a fantastic story. And now Monica is originally from the Czech Republic, but after living, working and playing in a number of different countries across the world, fate has landed her here in the UK. Monica's life is on track with the track cycling national championships and everything that goes with that. And she had a a career planned uh, for the near future in her life regarding that. But things didn't turn out that way and things took a slight turn for the worst, which led to Monica travelling, getting involved in a few different things, but bikes always being at the centre of it. Monica's full of life, she's bubbly, and uh, you you certainly will enjoy this one. So tune in. As we talk to Monica about life as a teenager, track cyclist, traveling around the world, winning her first mountain bike in a raffle, believe it or not. So this is how she got into the mountain bike thing. She won a bike in a raffle. She's broke bones. She's got scared in Papua New Guinea. Lots of stuff. But she's found her love for mountain biking and all that kind of stuff in New Zealand. Uh, But she's here now in the UK. So we chat to her about that, about the trails in New Zealand. It's a great story. There's lots in there. Tons and tons of good information and uh, a few good laughs in there as well. So without further ado, let me introduce Monica to the MTB Tribe Podcast. Hi, Monica. Welcome to MTB Tribe Podcast. How's things with you today? Hey, Gareth. You all right? Um, How are you doing? All right. I'm very good. Thank you. Yes. I'm better now that um, I'm doing a podcast. (laughs) <laughs> yeah well it's sunny outside you should be outside riding bike <laughs> <laughs> it's more uh it's far better than doing the show notes i was doing some show notes before i phoned you and uh yeah i just i don't know i was never that good at that at school and i'm still not good at it so it's nice to chat someday <laughs> <laughs> well thanks so much for coming on the podcast um it's cool and it's a cool story about how your boyfriend kind of just logged you onto this and tricked you into coming on almost is that true to say that no yeah so <laughs> just listening to your podcast and uh, uh mike messaged you and i didn't even know about it so here i am now <laughs> thanks for having me <laughs> uh no no it'd be great to chat and you've got a great story um and i want to talk to you about getting into the mountain bike scene obviously and the downhill thing in particular um but your trail to this point has been a very interesting one. You've done loads of travel. You've visited lots of different countries. You've had success as a track cycler when you were younger, a teenager, and I've done loads more since then. So 
we'll get into it all if if you don't mind. We'll go through it maybe chronologically and have a chat through you down through the years and what happened and stuff. Okay, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about all this. Uh, I've been riding bike um, since I was a little kid, so I've done a lot of biking. But I've just changed the type of the bike over the years. <laughs> yeah. So went from yeah. track cycling into downhill over quite a few years. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's crazy. Now you're originally from the Czech Republic, um, but you live now in North Yorkshire, and we'll get into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you track cycled as a young kid. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about that. How did you get into that track cycling? Is it is it popular in the Czech Republic? Um, so that's mainly because of my family. So uh, all my family is into cycling. And my mum my is a coach. Um, she's been a coach of track cycling for quite a while. Wow. And my dad is a mechanic. Um, he used to always uh, have his own garage and uh, do like a road bike uh, mechanic in. Mm-hmm. Um, and me and my brother um, got into this through our parents, really. So we used to do a lot of, you know, different kind of sports since we are little kids but it sort of escalated into just track cycling and road cycling over the years so I would be maybe racing already since I was eight years old on the track Mm. and and doing road cycling and it was just for fun and our parents never pushed us into anything um, which probably kept me you know still liking biking and Mm -hmm. stuff because we were never pushed into anything um, but when I was maybe um, 15 or, you know, a bit like a teenage time, um, it would get a little bit more serious. So um, I was in the Czech cycling representation team um, for, uh, sorry, for Czech cycling, not, not road cycling. Yeah. And then when I was junior, so maybe when I was about 17, I think, um, I made it into... Uh, European Championship in track cycling and then qualified for the World Championship. <laughs> so wow. it yeah. sort of uh, it sort of escalated <laughs> from yeah, just so- doing cycling and enjoying it into, you know, I was training really hard. I'll be training every day for uh, several years. Um, yeah, I didn't have any day off really. You, you have like easier days, but you never have day off yeah <laughs> wow that's crazy yeah like so would you go before school would you go after school how did that work for you yeah so it was uh, mainly all this hard training when I was in like junior category so that was when I was at college and I would be training every day after school but I would miss a lot uh, a lot of school <laughs> I, I had like a special to be fair I was offered a special program from my school uh, the director told me that I can have like an individual plan, you know, and I don't need to go to school because I'm missing a lot of hours and I would just go in and do the exams. But because I am lazy, I'm genuinely, I've always been quite a lazy <laughs> person. I told them I can't have this individual plan because I would just never, I would not, if I don't have to, I wouldn't go to school. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I would just be I don't know I would never go there so I was still trying to do everything as like any other kid but I missed uh, I think I missed on my last year when I was doing the final exams I missed 400 hours of school before my final exams and that was like the hardest part of it because I was just flat out then my coach wanted me to be on the trainings 
my school wanted me to be at school <laughs> and I still had to have the grade. So basically the director at, um, of my college said, uh, okay, if you still want to do the same plan, then you need to have your grades quite good. So I had to like keep my grades quite good. So that was the key. And I somehow managed. I don't even know how. I usually like just was on uh, maybe one month off. We were maybe in Mallorca riding bikes for three weeks straight. Mm-hmm. Then I would come back to school after three weeks. I didn't even open the books or anything over them three weeks, which I was supposed to learn all this, you know. And I came back to school and then somehow in like three days, I would learn everything for one exam. <laughs> I go back to school, somehow pass the exam, forget everything I learned genuinely, and then do another exam in like a different different subject. But I really like learned it quickly and forgot it quickly as well. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I don't know. I still passed the final exam somehow. So I had to learn everything on the end anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny that because I remember when I was at university, one of my lectures, I think it was one of the law, one of the law lectures. That's what he told me. He said, learn it like a parrot. Learn it, spill it out over three hours and then forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> It's really bad, but that's how I did it. And that's how I did my school. Um, yeah, so a yeah. lot of training. I don't know. I, I didn't have time to, like, rest properly, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe that's, that's why um, on on the end of the, I mean, I did, had some good results. Um, yeah. So I went to the world champs and uh, in junior category in Mexico, and I placed 10th in the point race. So that was my best result. Yeah, wow, uh, wow. Yeah, I was quite pleased with that. <laughs> yeah, like, how did you feel traveling to Mexico to do what you loved at that time, like, and, and race bikes? How did you feel about that? Uh, all the traveling? Yeah, going to Mexico, you know, that was somewhere different, uh, you know. Yeah, so. It's pretty well, major for a 17-year-old to be doing something like that. Yeah, so we've been traveling quite a lot, even earlier, you know, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. all over Europe, so. More serious it got, uh, we were traveling a bit more. So first, when you're younger, you would travel all over the Czech Republic to, to travel to racing um, or different races. And then we'll be traveling to different countries in Europe, like closer mm-hmm. to Czech, so like Austria, Slovakia and Germany. Um, so it would be more like Europe. And then uh, then it was European Championship in, in Germany. So it's not as, you know, it's not that far. And I was just used to always pack my stuff and then go. So it was nothing really, nothing different to just pack my my stuff, what I needed and go. And I got, at the time, I don't think I appreciated it enough uh, because I was young, I think. But um, I had everything for free. You know, I was given bikes and they gave me all the food and everything was provided. And I think Mm -hmm. I just didn't appreciate it enough. Because it just happened and you're young and you just don't really care. You're just doing what you're supposed to do. But if I look back now, I'm thinking, oh, my God, I had, like, everything. And then I suddenly been traveling everywhere. And it's different type of travel. It's not like you see all the culture. You don't see anything. Yeah. You go there wherever you're racing. You go into the hotel. You make sure you, you have a good sleep and then you you race and rest so when we went to Mexico um we had to we went from from Czech Republic to Netherlands then 
had stopover, then went to Mexico City. We had 10 hour stopover and then went to Aquascalientes, which is another was another flight. And that's where the World Championship was. And you thinking, oh my God, I'm in Mexico. Like I need to see all, all this. <laughs> but actually I haven't seen anything because yeah. I was at like a, at this hotel and I was not allowed to do anything else. I could just go on the training because we went for three weeks um, because it was really high up the mountains or something. It was like 2000 meters above the sea level. So we had to get a bit accommodated, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so we had our road bikes and track bikes as well. So spend like a week just doing nothing, just going from the hotel for a easy ride out on the road bike, back to the hotel, had some massage or just chill out. Uh, we were not allowed to walk for a long time because walking is bad for cycling, basically. You use different muscles and stuff. So at the time, I wouldn't be able to like go and walk through the town. You know, so you don't see anything. Really? And then you could only do it after the racing, but then you usually, uh, you know, do your race and then uh, one day later you leave in the country. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I managed to go to town uh, after mm-hmm. racing, <laughs> but it's, considering I've been there for a few weeks, um, I didn't see much. <laughs> yeah, wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, and like at that stage, you know, you were 17, were you thinking of moving this into a career making this a career going forward so at the moment i wouldn't really plan it as much i just did my best at the time but i think my head was not really where it could be (laughs) like my focus on riding is probably better now when i'm older Mm -hmm. than and i'm doing everything for fun now then when i was there younger which is weird just my head was just not there. You know, I was just doing what I was told. I was doing my training plan and everything. But I don't think I cared enough to plan and to just tell myself, right, let's do this and let's be the best. I mean, I've tried my best, but mm-hmm. it's weird how I felt, I think. At the time, I've done everything I could, um, but I feel like I could have had better focus on everything and think about things more. <laughs> I don't know if I explain this. Uh, I think I was just young and and it just happened somehow that I was quite good at the right time. Um, I probably could have been better because I was only 10th. Could have been mm-hmm. first. <laughs> yeah, it's hard at that age, really. Yeah. You know, you're 17, like, frick. You know, yeah. but, yeah, some people, they mature quicker than others and their brains get wired differently at different stages, so... Not everybody can think yeah. that way at that age. Now, you then had a bit of a setback. Um, I don't know if you mind talking about it, but you became ill with the thyroid um, yeah, so it a- issue. After, and... uh, so this was my second year, junior. And then when I came back, I knew that the next season for me means I'm in elite uh, in women's category, basically. Mm-hmm. So that, which is the big category where you're thinking, right, this is serious. Like, until then, it's just juniors. And even though it is important, the, the biggest category is always elite, you know. So, um, but unfortunately, I've, I had, um, I mean, I had really good winter. I had, like, really promising results, and I had the speed and, and everything, uh, doing just some races in, in Europe in, in winter. 
And then when it got to the season, uh, begin, uh, maybe in April, I think, um, where you've done all the hard work, uh, you've done all the time on the bike in March, which, you know, it's a, it's a lot of hours you need to do on the road bike to be ready for all this. And then in April, when all the season is supposed to kick off, I suddenly start to have these issues with thyroid. So my body was not functioning properly. Um, I started like collapsing on trainings. I couldn't do anything. Um, my heart rate was really high suddenly and everything. So I just uh, seeked some help and uh, basically they figured out I got something with thyroid. So the mm. amount of... Um, I don't know, it just was not functioning well. Um, yeah, so they told me that I have to stop riding, stop doing like anything for, first they said like a month, then they said another month, uh, and then on the end it was six months. But how it works on this high-level uh, racing, or I think in any sport, it works the way that if you're ill for one week, it will take you two weeks to get back where you were, mm -hmm. which means... That is three ta three weeks period where you you are where you were, but you missed three weeks improvement. If you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So when I was ill or couldn't do anything for six months, it was uh, the end of it was two thousand eight. Um, I missed all the training. I also lost quite a lot of motivation, to be fair. And also that year, that was these um, there were uh, Olympic Games in Beijing. So I'm not saying I would go there, but it was something to look up for. Obviously, I was in mm -hmm. first year in women, so it's not like uh, it would. It, but it could. It was sort of like a target to look at, like maybe, maybe get qualified for World Cups. You know, maybe get the points, maybe go there. And I missed all the seasons, so I couldn't really do any racing in in this big category, which I was training for. So I just. Uh, after these six months, I think it was like end of summer. Um, and I just thought, I'm not doing this. <laughs> I don't want to go back to, to training and uh, ho hopefully in one year be back where I was, you know. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I just thought, you know what? I'm going to Canada. <laughs> and I'm going <laughs> to I'm gonna learn how to speak English properly and get some job and, and go traveling. That's what I did. Yeah, and... As well, so I'm not going to say a weird decision, but um, like that was a pretty major decision to leave yeah. something you had been doing for probably 10 years or more. Um, yeah. And then, you know, just go to Canada. You know, do you think it was an, a knee-jerk reaction or was it something you, you just knew in your own head that, you know, you were over it, you had done your time, you wanted to move on? I think the thoughts in my head was, um, was like, right, um, I can either start training again and hope that in one year I'm going to be good again or go to university, which I, I've been accepted to this university, which I didn't really want to go. This was in uh, Canada? Uh, no, sorry. This was in, okay. in Czech. So okay. before I got ill, I passed exams to go to university. But just to stress out, uh, university in Czech Republic is for free so I just passed this this exam in I think, I think April around the time when I got ill um, so in September I was supposed to go to the, to the university and that was the same time where 
they told me I can start training again slowly, very slowly. Um, but I went to uni and the plan there was, it was just like a long distance uh, studying. So I would go there only every three weeks, I think, for the weekend or something like that. Okay. And I went there for one day <clears throat> or precisely three hours. I went there and I, <laughs> this was supposed to get you excited to go to uni and I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> the three the three hours on on that I hated it I just couldn't cope with it I was like I can't do this I'm gonna go somewhere else and learn something I want to learn which is how to speak English and do something different so that was actually the moment when I was sat at the uni the first day the opening day um and I thought I'm not doing this and that so that day I came back and I told my mom I said you know what, I'm, I don't want to learn anything what they were telling me today. I want to learn English or like another language. I want to go and just pack my backpack again and go. <laughs> mm -hmm. And and that day I looked into visas. Wow. <laughs> so it was the combination of let's just go and do something different and learn something new. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you chose Canada. Why Canada? Uh, so at the time I looked what visas I can get and I could get visa to Canada and I think New Zealand at a time uh, and it was quite difficult to get the visas because now everything's much easier everything's online and you, you do everything quite easy but at a time uh, this was the easier option the can Canadian visa instead of New Zealand and obviously it was a bit closer as well and I had to, I think, send a lot of paperwork to embassy. There was only one embassy for a few countries in Europe who would do the visas. So I had to send my passport to Austria, actually. It was mm -hmm. quite difficult. Now everything's so easy. You just message somebody on Facebook and find friends. You know, I didn't I didn't have Facebook at the time. Mm -hmm. There was nothing like that. So, um, yeah, I got the visas and just went uh, in, I think, just... Uh, beginning of December it worked it, it it took a few months to get the visa and when I got the paper finally mm. uh, and I finally received my passport back as well you know <laughs> you're sending your passport somewhere by post <laughs> it's a bit weird um with with cash in it I think and and yeah visa came back and passport came back and I booked a ticket and went and cool. I don't think it was anything weird to me I just um I know I was 18 at the time but um, you know, it wasn't anything weird. I just packed my my stuff and went, and I didn't find it any ha like hard to leave my family or anything like that because I've done it hundred times before. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying for that long, like longer or living somewhere, but the traveling part of it, being independent and being able to sort stuff out or sort problems on the airport and stuff like that. I've done this before hundred times, so it wasn't a problem to me. So to mm. a lot of people, it would sound like, oh my God, she's 18 and she's going to Canada on her own. And, yeah. you know, and I didn't even have much money to be fair. But um, it, yeah, there was not, I think it was just another, right, I'm just going to pack my backpack and go. <laughs> so I went. <laughs> cool. And where, whereabouts did you go to in Canada? I went to Vancouver. Oh yes, lovely. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't have any money. <laughs> I, and that's not a cheap place either. Yeah, I yeah, my parents gave me some money, but um, 
I had like a leaving party in Prague before I went and there uh, was some damage caused by drunk people, my friends, obviously, and me. <laughs> and then I spent the money what I had for traveling. To I had to pay that uh, to the bank. <laughs> <laughs> so but I didn't want to tell my mom. So I didn't tell them that I spent a lot of money of the money I was supposed to have for the, for the accommodation and stuff um, to pay <laughs> back to the bar to fix the damage. Oh, wow. Um, wow. And so I went and didn't tell them I don't have any money. <laughs> <laughs> well, if they listen to this, they're going, no, no. I know. Um, so what did you do in Canada then? What was your first step? Did you get into school there? What did you do? Oh, no. So first, um, I, sp- I booked two nights in a ho- hostel. Uh, and I had to find accommodation first. And bear in mind, I couldn't speak English. <laughs> I mean, I did, but just a little bit. Like, if you learn language at school, at primary school, you can say, hi, dog, hello. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you definitely Boy, can't understand anybody in native, you know, native speakers. You can't understand anything they're saying. So I was trying to find accommodation and, um, it, yeah, to be fair, I did find it in two days. I just found some place with a bunch of other foreigners, which was quite cool, um, right in the center of Vancouver. So found accommodation and that's where I had um, I had to pay like a deposit and that was pretty much most of my money gone. And then I had to find a job quite quickly but this is in this is December. This is right before Christmas, um, and I found job in um, Nando's. So I was working in the kitchen in Nando's, and and then I also found like a part time job for like a cleaning company. Um, so I did cleaning for two families, uh, like a private cleaning for them twice a week for each of that family. So that was, so I did like a full-time job in Nando's and a part-time job uh, cleaning because I just had to get get some cash. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Wow. And then you were trying to learn English, obviously, at, in yeah. between times. Yeah, so I was just uh, trying to speak English to, to everyone, everywhere, and uh, reading newspaper on the way to work. Um, and then when I got paid, finally got some food got some essentials and bought snowboard and went <laughs> up. Yeah, that, that comes <laughs> under your essential list <laughs> definitely <laughs> bought snowboard and went to cypress mountains uh, snowboarding and that yeah. day i was snowboarding the whole day like from the opening to to until they closed awesome <laughs> And Cyprus, you can take a you can take a cable car from basically just slightly outside of Vancouver up to the mountain, right? It's kind of like a local resort there. I would just take like a bus. Uh-huh. You go on like a shuttle bus, and that will take me there, and that's it. Mm. And it yeah. takes you back again. So, so that Amazing. was and that was my that was like accomplished. I got a job. Now I got money. Went snowboarding. Here we go. And then later on, when I um, got more money. Uh, and could speak a bit better English. Um, I moved to a different place and then was going to Whistler snowboarding. But I was still living in Vancouver. I would just do like a few trips to Whistler. Yeah, Whistler's a couple of hours up the road. Eh? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So how long did you stay in Canada then? So that would be uh, probably like uh, more than half a year. Not, not of. I can't remember now. 
maybe seven months or something like that over okay. over winter so not not that long because yeah. then i thought you know what let's come back home and go to a university <laughs> which i actually wanted to go mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why i came back to do the exams to another uni okay all right so, yeah cool now when you came back as well you won a hard teal frame in a raffle yeah this is weird is this is this your introduction to mountain biking uh pretty much (laughs) it's the this is the beginning of me going downhill sorry not going down going riding downhill Uh, Uh so i did do some mountain biking as part of my road cycling sort of times just like normal cross-country mountain Mm -hmm. biking at the time when i was a kid I did that, but I was useless. I was really bad at it, and I was scared of everything. But yeah, when I came back from Canada, I entered this uh, raffle. It was this local bike shop in Prague, and they did like a Halloween raffle. If you dressed up uh, for Halloween and brought carved pumpkin, you (laughs) would get into win. And I actually won the main prize, which was this hardtail frame uh, more like a dirt jump sort of thing right okay and because i used to when i was at the time when i was ill with my thyroid i didn't have anything else to do and i uh, was quite interested in downhill so i used to go and watch my friends when they were racing mm-hmm. um so i knew quite a lot of people from the downhill community and they helped me to get all these parts and put together a hardtail bike Cool. So that's the beginning. So I think in the when I came back from Canada, we somehow put it together with my f- help, you know, uh, help from my mates mm-hmm. uh, for really cheap. You know, one of them would have forks, one of them would have some wheels. Put it together, and I had hardtail and went riding. <laughs> yeah, cool. But you you didn't you didn't downhill ride on the hardtail, did you? I did. That that's what it was straight away downhill, and I didn't have any skills but i was pedaling i was always just like pedaling everywhere <laughs> probably from track cycling i don't know but i would yeah. be probably like braking and pedaling at the same time <laughs> wow wow yeah and and then i got signed up uh what was that i think i did i just went out riding with my mates they because all my mates who were riding some sort of a mountain biking they were downhillers so i think that's why and I was really keen to try it. Um, but I think maybe when I was like sixth time on it, I broke my vertebrae. Ugh. So that was a bit of a... Well, yeah, that's why you don't ride a hardtail when you're doing downhill trails. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't... The downhill I was doing at the time was not nothing bad, you know. I think it was 100% lack of any skills. <laughs> Yeah, but was, that, but this, this had, you know, you had been bitten with the bug by this stage, basically. I think so. Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, and how did you break your? Ver- you obviously came off the bike, like, but can you uh, remember that? Can you remember? We just went to this um, local woods in actually in Prague. There's this forest, and I think I would like to see the jump now, but it must have been <laughs> <laughs> at the time it was way bigger than I should I shouldn't even go on it 
But I, the only thing I could compare jumps to were jumps of, you know, snowball jumps. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But they are massive. What I could jump on a, on a snow, on snowboard, uh-huh. is, it was massive. So this jump just looked really small <laughs> in comparison to snowboard jumps. Yeah. Um, which was the mistake. You can't compare. No, you can't. <laughs> so because... I thought, oh, there's just a little jump, you know. So I went. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what I did. I just landed on my back and uh, compressed one of the vertebrae. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's an easy, because I would be a much better snowboarder, I think, than a mountain biker. Mm-hmm. And I yes, was at the time. Yeah. yeah. And you can hit big jumps on a snowboard, relatively yeah. big. Yeah. But there's no way I would attempt something like that on the bike. You know, it's funny now when I go snowboarding, I look at these things and think, would I hit that on a bike? And I'm like, mm, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what was your recovery like then? Um, just had to stay in the hospital for uh, probably a week in one position. Um, just in case. But it was, it was fine. It was just a compression fracture so i just had to stay in one position not you know not moving doing anything and then i was supposed to be there a bit longer but i was at that uni um and because in uni you actually have to go there which was unfortunate for me because i didn't really <laughs> at me and schools it's just not something <laughs> i always did <laughs> so i was supposed to be going to this course and the teacher, I messaged him and say, unfortunately, I'm in the hospital, I can't go. And he messaged me back saying, that's okay. Um, if you, instead of going to the course, just can you please write, in, instead of one essay I was supposed to write, he said, if you can do two. And to me, that was nightmare. I had <laughs> something to do um, to even do one essay. That was like the peak of my ability. So I thought, I can't miss this course. I need to go there because otherwise I have to write two essays, uh, which I'm not able to. So I signed paper in hospital (laughs) that I'm going. So I got released early and went. I couldn't really walk properly, but I did Mm. manage to get to the university and showed up on that course. And then the teacher was just like, what are you doing here? I'm like, well, um, there's no way I can write another essay. It took me a month to do the first one. <laughs> and yeah. so that was the end of my recovery. Uh, wow. Obviously, I, I had to still stay at home and um, sort of not do much for... I couldn't sit for three months. So I could only stand or stay on my knees. So I, had, I got these special, like, knee... I don't know what it's called. It's like a chair where you just knee on it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I got it delivered to the university and somebody was carrying it for me f- into every course. Yeah, <laughs> It was going, man. That's my recovery. Yeah, <laughs> and wow. Then, and then I went wakeboarding, I think, three months after. Uh, well, that doesn't surprise me somehow. Do uh, <laughs> <laughs> you? Uh, but so the injury, the vertebrae injury, didn't put you off bikes or anything like that? Oh, no. I just wanted to go back. Yeah, wow. That's cool. It caused me some pain. And obviously, now, if I look back, fair enough, like, it hurts sometimes. And you would think that I would do something differently, but I wouldn't. I would do probably exactly the same. (laughs) Yeah. 
Yeah. Because what they tell you in the hospital is, oh, you can't do anything for, for like nine months. And I'm like, if I don't do anything for nine months, my body's going to collapse. Like that's for sure. I need to do something. Mm-hmm. So I think I gave it like three months. And then uh, when I could sit finally, then I start doing something. I start going on the road bike a bit and, and do it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy. Uh, so after that stage, then you decided to go to the Netherlands to work to try and see your money for New Zealand. Yeah. So I had some job in uh, when I was at uni. You know, I was instead of going there again, I was just going to these courses where I had to be. But then I was either snowboarding in winter or biking in summer or doing something else. And one day I just got this offer. Um, my mates were going to the Netherlands to work in this uh, like a flower bulb factory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, it's like a yeah. summer job. Normal people stay there for four weeks, you know, make some money and leave again. I stayed, so I just quit my job, which was like a, I had like two part-time jobs with university at the same time. Um, <laughs> that, that's why I probably never finished the uni, but that's a bit later. So I went, um, in summary, I went to Netherlands, stayed eight weeks in a tent, in like a campsite and worked in this tulip bulb factory just doing this brainwashing job just sorting these <laughs> flower yeah. bulbs it's mad it's you can't normal person can't do this longer than like four weeks it was a complete brainwash yeah. <laughs> so i did that and saved money for going to new zealand that's why i just thought let's go to new zealand <laughs> yeah that was your next plan and yeah that that was it <laughs> excellent excellent so you were in new zealand for about a year or so is that right um yeah so got my visas went to new zealand and the visa for if you're from czech republic you get the visa for one year so uh-huh. i think it's a bit different for people from the uk so yeah we got it for one year um and so the plan was going to new zealand get some job which i did actually went to auckland first stayed a few months and got a job worked in this like organic shop mm-hmm. with just organic uh, food shop in auckland uh, stayed a few months and then saved money for traveling um then traveled like for I think maybe two months I did traveling around New Zealand from north down south and ended up in Queenstown. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, so, and that's South Island, yeah. That's right. So going from okay. the North Island down south, so that took me <clears throat> I think about two months, mm-hmm. uh, which was the plan sort of get some cash and just do two months traveling, end up in Queenstown and bought a bike. I just bought like <laughs> a cheap this was my first full suspension bike. Okay. And it was this old, it was this transition Siren, I think. And it was like this old type of two days enduro bike, but really, like really old and not really good. But it was good enough for me. It was way better than my hardtail. So I was happy with it. Mm-hmm. And spent three months riding in Queenstown Bike Park and also found a job in this burger place. It's 
called Thurgburger. It's quite a famous burger place. Right. Uh, so I worked there for three months and just doing these crazy shifts uh, and riding it in the free time and drinking. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Crazy, crazy. Um, now, there's an area in the south called the Impossibles, if I'm not mistaken. Is that well, Impossibles? It's a big mountain bike area, I think. Um, could be wrong. But you were riding the bikes. You that, It's obviously a different area then to where you were riding the bikes at. I don't know. To be fair. I, I was just yeah. in, a, in the bike park in Queenstown. Um, right. I would never, because that I was just riding the bike park. I just had the pass for it and... Uh, didn't do any pedaling, like any enduro or anything around it. So at that time, I wouldn't know anything about any areas around, honestly. Okay, I just spent okay. all this time in Queenstown. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, cool. And what's the scene like there? Is it good? Uh, people or? Yeah, the mountain bike scene there. I, I love it. That's why I yeah. came back after. <laughs> wow. I love it. If I could move the whole New Zealand, including the people and the weather and everything, you know, closer to Europe, I would definitely live there. Yeah. I love I love New Zealand. I love the people. I love everything. The only problem is that it's so far from my family, you know, from mm. from everywhere. So yeah. that's why on the end I think I'm here now <clears throat> in the UK because mm. New Zealand's so far. <laughs> yeah it does look amazing and anybody i know that has went there visited there stayed there for a while just says they would love to live there it's yeah, just perfect right. yeah unbelievable so you've got your full first full <laughs> sauce you're getting into it you're a you're at a bike park uh you decide then to go to papua new guinea for a few weeks yeah so was that just a holiday or <laughs> so my visa was running out and okay, okay. Um, I knew that was sort of the plan, so I smashed some, smashed some uh, long shifts in Ferrickburger, made made some cash, and the plan was on the way back home because you're anyway on this on the other side of the world, so you have to anyway fly somehow back to Czech Republic. So I thought, you know what, I'm gonna do two months travel and buy these flight tickets and just go through Southeast Asia. And one of the countries where I've never heard of anybody going was Papua New Guinea. And I just thought, I really want to go there. I, I've seen this, um, something on Discovery Channel when I was younger about these tribes, you know, they have all these things mm-hmm. on their faces and and all this culture. And I really wanted, wanted to see that. And I couldn't find anybody, even online or anywhere, who would go there and see these people. Just the Discovery Channel guy, and um, and so I, you know, tried to do a lot of research. I used to do couch surfing at the time. I don't know if you know what that is. If you're traveling and you just want to stay with the local people, that's how I used to travel always. I always stayed with the local people, and and um, they would show me around. And I couldn't find any couch surfers anywhere who would be in Papua New Guinea as well. So or who, who's been before. So it was quite hard to find any information. The only people who go are Australians who own co- companies there or gold mines. So there's really rich people, mostly Australians, who who are owners of big companies 
um, but the money doesn't go to Papua New Guinea, it goes all to Australia, which is a bit a bit mm. weird. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or you can go to like a holiday place, uh, there's one place in, in Papua New Guinea where you can go diving. But if you go traveling like me with not much money and just like trying to find the tribes, it it was incredibly hard to find any information. I actually didn't find any and I didn't find anywhere to stay anyway. But I bought the tickets anyway and thought, I'm just going to sort it when I'm there. And <laughs> I, I went and spent three weeks. Um, this is a whole another story. I, it, it was really hard. Like people were telling me, don't go. It's dangerous and and all sorts. And it was. There was there were times where I was really scared, but the first week was okay because I met some good people and uh, I was lucky. I basically found a guy who works in like a tourist information office in the main capital city mm-hmm. of town, um, but it doesn't really. It's really like backwards a little bit because there's not obviously there's not many tourists coming. They only come once a year for this big festival, and all the the rest of the year, there are no not no tourists. But he was the first one trying to get people to go to Papua New Guinea and get things improved and get it out there that people can go and feel safer. And so he established this office and started to work on this. And at that time, I found him. And he provided me accommodation with his family and his tribe on Fisherman's Island, which is a little island close to Papua New Guinea, yeah, close, to that, the, close to that uh, um, Port Moresby, which is the main, the capital. Uh, so I was quite lucky to find him. So I spent one week on that island with his family, and that was that was amazing. It was mm-hmm. just kindness, and everything was nice. Um, the scary moments were later on, the second and the third week <laughs> up the mountains in on the main island. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, yeah, that's crazy. You know, you're a young girl, you're out there yourself traveling. And yeah, wow. I can, I can only imagine. Like, I've been to Indonesia a couple of times, which would be a lot more touristy than Papua mm-hmm. New Guinea. But man, we had some scary incidents there as well when we were out in the sticks trying yeah. to surf, trying to find surf spots and stuff. Yeah, yeah, man, you just don't know. You're in the hands of people around you, and you don't you don't know what's happening. Yeah, there, you know? there's like a high, there's really high rate of rape. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no white girls. Um, people, I've I've seen kids who they've never actually seen white person before but obviously yeah. the only the little kids who didn't leave the island yet so they would call me tina pata which means white lady um that was really cool but then when i went up the mountains it's uh there's a high honestly there's like raping's normal everybody's got hiv um there's no education it was um I don't know, mind opening, like yeah, just seeing yeah. all this. Um, and I had to think a bit differently. These people are not bad. They, The only thing they fight for is to protect themselves or something. Mm-hmm. So they don't have the need to, you know, fight you or anything unless there's some sort of a problem. And 
it, I had to think the way that you need to forget everything you learned in your life and just work by your instincts. And that's how I sort of managed to to survive, I think, because wow. they don't know anything like communication. I'm not talking all of them. There are educated people at places. I went to a, quite a few different places and met a lot of different types of people. And when I was in the jungle with actual tribe living in a jungle, that's where you just have to work, or I did, through your instinct. Because they don't have the education, they don't have the the information, what we've learned as as a you know, as kids or as just living in towns, mm-hmm. that that you solve problem by talking, <laughs> not by killing somebody. Yeah, yeah, wow. Stuff like that. And maybe you can't communicate because now nobody speaks English. Um, just the educated people, they always send one member of the family to some sort of a school and that, that member of the family comes back and teach the rest of them and stuff like that. So I don't know, it was just incredible, really good experience. Um, there was sometimes where I was really scared, but it was sometimes it was the people when I would be scared Sometimes it would be maybe animals because there's, you know, there's different types of mosquitoes. They can give you malaria. They can give you all sorts of different things. And it's some, some of these illnesses are not, they, they can't treat them or you are so far from hospital that you wouldn't even be able to get help. So it was different type of fear, but it was constant. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I can I can understand <laughs> to a certain extent. Uh, my only saving grace was I was with two big strapping lads, so two big builder type dudes. So I got out a lot of tricky situations <laughs> with their with their help because of their size. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, yeah. But yeah, that's crazy. So you come back from that experience, you're back mm-hmm. to New Zealand for another couple of years, and this is where you meet Mike, who you're with now. Yeah, so travelled all this and then came back home, got the visa again, ended up back in New Zealand and got um, got back to my work, original work in Fergie and met, uh, that's the time when I met Mike and his mates and somehow at the time I broke my wrist um, huh. and couldn't ride my bike and that's when I met Mike and we spent some time together and ended up together really mm-hmm. <laughs> and cool. then spent another one year in New Zealand together um so that was all together basically two years so yeah, yeah cool and then uh, the V's yeah sorry and so I was just going to ask was Mike in New Zealand working was he there to ride bikes what was his reason for being in New Zealand because so he's from North from, Yorkshire right? yeah so he's yeah. from Yorkshire and he went there just to find some work and to ride bikes so he was riding downhill since he was a little kid Um, so he went there with his mates and just were riding bikes and he's a sparky by trade so he just found job really quickly and um, yeah working and riding bikes (laughs) excellent that was it He was not even interested in any traveling, really. Just wanted to ride his bike. <laughs> uh, I would say so in that environment. <laughs> uh, so you shattered your, your wrist, uh, but then somehow after that you bought a motocross bike. 
It's a strange one. Yes. <laughs> so uh, I finally had my full suspension downhill bike waiting for me because I just broke broke the wrist. I couldn't ride it. Um, and when I got back from the, the wrist was really bad. It took quite a few months to get back on a bike again. But at the time when I was finally able to ride my bike, um, like not anything crazy in the bike bike was still quite weak my hand but um mm. when i was finally able to ride the bike um mike and his mate they bought motocross bikes so i was thinking hang on i'm buying one as well <laughs> <laughs> so mike found me one it was just like a kids 85 ktm 85 so that's it's it's kids race bike mm-hmm. um it's only little but it's quite fast anyway um, and it was ideal for me. And my theory was at the time, I can't really hold on properly on the downhill bike. Um, so this is this one's going to be easier because I can sit if I need to. <laughs> and that's how that's how I sort of got into it. And a few weeks later, Mike signed me up for some motocross race. <laughs> <laughs> but just like a local, you know, something on a field. Right, right. Somewhere close to Queenstown. And I was like, he didn't even tell me. I was like, what? What do you mean? So he just signed me up for this race, and that's that's the beginning. So I just did it on this little kid's bike. Wow, wow. So crazy. So you finally come back to the UK then, mm-hmm. um, and you start racing. Is this when you yeah. started racing downhill properly then? Yeah. So I've never done – I did, like, two little races in Czech Republic on that hardtail back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I wouldn't even call that downhill. It was this – you know, local little downhill race, so nothing technical, nothing steep. But when I got to the UK, um, straight away, Mike, or Mike and my mates just tell me, "You need to race. Go on. There's this race in Hamsley, uh, and that's only about 45 minutes away from us." So I went and did the race in Hamsley. Uh, only a few months after I moved to the UK. Um, and that went all right. First time I've ever ridden on wet, I think. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> but Hamsley's only hard pack anyway, so that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then I did, uh, there's this borderline series, or used to be, borderline series in, uh, they did the second round in Revolution Bike Park. So I did that race. And that's when people start telling me, go, go on, you need to do nationals. And, you know, at the time I was thinking, this is crazy. Like, I've done my racing. I've done, like, 10 years of racing before. Obviously, there's a lot of, there's many years between that. But I've done my track cycling racing. I don't need to race nationals again. Mm -hmm. Uh, I found it really weird. Like, why would I be racing nationals again? Um, Anyway, I signed up. Uh, So, 2017, I signed up for the last race of the season in the national series. Just the last one. Um, and and uh, signed up for senior women and ended up fourth. And wow. that sort of surprised me or everybody because you wouldn't have anything else to compare yourself with, really, mm-hmm. if you've mm-hmm. never really raced or you've only done two races. So this was my third race. And because I ended up on the podium, because, I mean, I didn't even know that I'm on podium because... I didn't know they, <laughs> they, um, the podium's five people, you know. 
Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. I ended up fourth and I was packing my stuff and, and Abby was like, what are you doing? You know, I was like, oh, I'm fourth. Like, well, it's first five. So <laughs> anyway, I didn't even know. I didn't know anything. I didn't even know how to walk the track properly. I didn't know that there's only one race run. <laughs> so all this I learned that, that weekend. Uh, <laughs> I thought there's two race runs because when I did the borderline series, obviously it was two. Um, and it's only my fault, obviously. It's it's in the information about the race, but I didn't read it, did I? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, so that sort of gave me the, not confidence, but just the idea that, okay, let's race. And Mike was like, go on, you need to race nationals next year proper. So I was like, okay. Um so that's where the idea came from. Mostly mm-hmm. Mike, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. And did Mike race? Does he race? Uh, he used to race when he was younger. And I think he he's done his time. <laughs> he's not mm-hmm. really interested in queuing. You know, he just wants to ride his bike. And yeah. he doesn't like the queuing when you're on the race day. You don't really do much riding. Mm-hmm. So that's the thing what he doesn't like. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So let's... Let's jump forward a little bit then. You got sponsored by Stiff Cycles out of North Yorkshire then. Um, were you looking for sponsors at this time? You know, how did that thing all happen and come together? Um, so when we decided that I'm going to be racing next year, the whole season, um, Mike again said, you should just message some companies and ask them if they could you know, help you with some discount or something. So I've messaged... Stiff because that's I was already their customer. I went there and bought a few bits of them before, and I emailed them that winter asking just an email put together and said, um, I'm planning to the whole season next year, and blah blah blah. You know, just information about me. I put a picture there doing a suicide no hander, which is the trick I could do, and found it quite special because a lot of people got impressed as a girl doing no hander. I put the picture into the email and said, I've never raced before. I've done three. This is my three. I've done only these three races last year. And I genuinely didn't expect anything more than like some, you know, 10% off, I don't know, gloves or something. (laughs) I didn't expect anything. Um, So I think they found out that I got some sort of a potential. I don't know. They thought, okay, she could be quite good. I don't know what they thought at the time, but they offered me way better offer than 10% of gloves. <laughs> they mm-hmm. uh, got back to me and said, um, you're doing just down and like, are you planning to do any enduro and stuff? But I've never done any enduro before and I didn't even have enduro bike, but came up to this conclusion that if I start doing enduro as well, um, I could be sponsored with them. And that's how it happened. And they offered me quite a good deal. Um, and I suddenly was on board with Steve, having bikes, having Santa Cruz V10, having Juliana um, Enduro bike, having, you know, really good, like they gave me helmet and stuff. So I was, it just happened like really quickly without knowing <laughs> that I went into race season and I had a like brand new downhill bike V10 something what I've always you know like look up for Mm -hmm. 
something better than I would ever like deserve. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. they, yeah, they really, I don't know how to explain it. I didn't really expect it and I didn't even know how much to appreciate it. It was crazy at the time. Yeah, it's it's awesome, isn't it? Like, you know, from talking to people that have got sponsors and stuff, it really encourages you and motivates you to actually do the thing more because people are giving you this stuff or giving you this stuff at a good price and you don't want to disappoint them. So it's actually very good for your motivation. You know, did you feel it helped you having that sponsor behind you that way? Yeah, so first thing was that I didn't really expect it. That was, you know, like a shock that, hang on, like, I thought, you just, I don't know, when you're sending this email, you don't really think that they're going to offer you such a big sponsorship Mm. and suddenly have this support. It felt amazing. And I thought, wow, I need to, you know, I'm going to race and I'm going to race for them. And I have this jersey and you're suddenly proud because you're promoting you have a jersey and you're adding for a team suddenly. So mm. that felt really good. Um, yeah, so it does, it didn't give me any pressure or anything because Stiff doesn't tell me you need to race this and you need to be that good. Like they never said anything like that. They happy as far as I do my social media, which is a big part of this as well, and promote them that way. They happy with it. So I didn't feel any pressure. I just felt really proud. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah no that's yeah. awesome that's awesome yeah. um so you then you get your enduro bike in 2018 but you win the overall national downhill series and senior category the following year how did that feel yeah so that was really unexpected as well um i didn't even win a, like a single race but somehow i was consistent so i won the overall and that was something like quite shocking to me because I was not really looking at the results. Like every time I do the race, I was just happy that I did my best. You know, obviously you have some mechanicals, you have some crashes and stuff like that, but winning the overall just means I've been the most consistent from everyone. Um, And, you know, I didn't injure myself. I finished every race and the points worked out the way that I won overall so mm-hmm. I don't know it was it was amazing and the last race I was very ill as well I had like proper flu and just I was knackered I did my seeding and I think I used all my energy it was really wet it was raining the whole weekend and so the last race was actually the hardest from the whole um from the whole season and I, I had this flu uh, we were supposed to sleep in the van but I had to go and book accommodation because I just had to have a hot shower and try to feel a little bit better Mm -hmm. I was just eating paracetamols all day Um, so when I uh, I think maybe after 45 seconds on the track I just I was knackered I was so exhausted I couldn't even like hold on properly and I thought oh my god this is just the last you know you know you only have like two minutes in front of you to finish the season so that's just drove me to the finish line but I was I felt like I probably I was probably last I actually was only I think that race maybe second I can't remember Mm -hmm. but it was really hard but winning the overall just paid off (laughs) yeah 
and you have been consistent because I'm looking at your results here in front of me. All right. Uh, so it was like second, second, third, mm. fourth. Uh, that's not a nice uh, second. So yeah, you were there. It. You know what I mean? I was like always, were... yeah, I never won any race, but I won the overall. That's it was, it was interesting. Yeah. 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 Because it's... the winner was never the same or something like that, I think. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where I didn't know at the time, but basically you realize, hang on, I'm going to elite next year because the winner of the senior is going to elite next year. Um, you don't have to, I think, but it would be stupid not to because I would rather be at the end of elite than at the top of senior. And mm. and all the girls who were faster, like Michaela. And Chloe Taylor and everybody who would be faster than me that year who who had the first spot they would also go to elite for next year so so I suddenly last year I suddenly appeared in elite and that is the most bizarre feeling ever because being in elite in the UK is the biggest privilege you can have as a female downhill mountain biker because wow. being on the same place with Rach Hatter and Tani Seagrave, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. So just the feeling going to Elite was really bizarre. Yeah, like, I'm sure. And did you see a big step up from the senior to the Elite? Was there was it very different? Um, there was a big difference in my riding, suddenly. Um, that... It's not necessarily because of the category, but just because I've only done one race season and I think over winter, everything clicked. You know, I learned so many things. I didn't know anything about racing before. I didn't even have any spares. Not that I couldn't have. Stiff would give me anything, but I just didn't know I need stuff. So the Mm -hmm. first year I was like this, felt like this novice learning every day on the race day. You know, sorry, every time on the race, like, so I think everything settled over winter. And even though I was ill, again, for nearly three months, I didn't ride bike over winter because I had tonsillitis repeatedly. Um, mm. So I couldn't really train or anything. But in my head, things clicked. Everything settled. And I went into the season in elite and I suddenly improved my times absolutely massively. Like... The difference between me and some of the elite girls would be maybe 30 seconds the year before, and suddenly it would be only five or ten. Wow. Which is a big step. And I could feel my riding changed, the technique changed, the knowledge of how to do things changed, and everything sort of worked. And suddenly the times were so close, so much closer to some of the girls that even though the position doesn't speak for it because there's only a few of us and I'll be either, you know, I'll be on the very end the whole year. But the times were so much better. So I was like so much happier about how, I, how I've ridden. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because I think in that scenario, it's really silly to measure yourself against, you know, the, the girls that are always first, second, third, something like that. Mm-hmm. You have to measure your times yeah. against what you done previously or that's right uh, yeah. i 
I just look at the time. I just uh, I can feel, for example, the first race of my first year in elite, which was like 19. The first race was in Rayola, um, and that we already raced there the year before. And I suddenly seen lines I haven't seen before. I suddenly jumped some doubles which I haven't seen before, like a little, you know, you're hopping from place to place. You suddenly improve your riding and you know it. So I knew that last year I didn't see this line. And it was there, but I was just following the main, you know, the, the main one. So mm-hmm. that that itself already improved. And then my time, even though the track was a little bit different, they changed it a little bit. But mostly it was the same, and my time was probably at least thirty seconds faster than the year before. So wow! And it's also it's my time comparing to my time last year, and also comparing it with the girls, with some of the girls. You never know who had good run and who didn't. But mm. overall, I'm looking at the times. So I'm not looking at the position because I did a race last year, and I was last. It was only six of us. And it was in Bala, I think, and it, I was last, I was sixth, but I was like the happiest because my time was the closest to the top. So, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah, it, it makes lasted. sense. It's not, not bad. I'm not looking at the position because it's not even, sometimes it's not even 10 of us. It could be only eight of us or something. So you can't be, you know, you can't be looking at the position, really. It needs to be mm-hmm. the time. And, you, and if there was like a feature I did, which I was maybe scared of, that's what matters to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you can measure your, you know, you can measure your growth then. Definitely. And a, you, and on an the hour. end, I always think I'm racing against the time. I'm not racing against the people because when you're on the track, the only thing you can do is just do your best. And when you cross the finish line, you either know you've done your best without looking at the time, you know, you've done your best or, you know, you may be, went off a track or you crashed or mm-hmm. something, which is still part of it. Or you know that you were lazy and you didn't pedal where you're supposed to pedal. <laughs> but mm-hmm. if you've done your best without looking at the time, that's when I'm happy. And then I look at it and usually it works out uh, all right. So I'm not, yeah, that's how I'm looking at it. <laughs> cool, cool. All right, so you then jumped into the enduro scene as well. And You've had re- great success in that also. Yeah, Yeah, we'll do. I signed up for quite a few enduro races this year, but obviously that's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I So everybody's telling me I did quite well, but at the same time I didn't feel like it because I felt like with this enduro racing, I've only done two races. The North in Ortumbrian, that was my first race. Uh, and the second one was Ardmos. The not in Ardmos, I didn't even know what I signed up for. It was really hard, and also, <laughs> and also, it was so long. Like I've never even pedaled that that like that distance since I stopped probably racing road cycling. You know, so because mm-hmm. uh, when I go for a pedal, I wouldn't go that far. And it was like 42 kilometers, I think, on Saturday, and then the same on Sunday. And I thought, there's no way I can do that. But So I was really happy I finished. And somehow, I've also won my category. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that was just, like, extra. But what I, I didn't have... With the North in Ortenbury, I was really happy I finished because it was really hard and probably half of the field didn't even start 
on Sunday or didn't even wow, finish. Really? It was it was extreme. Um, but also, I felt like I didn't feel anything special because the categories are by age, not by uh, like elite and the rest uh-huh. of senior. Yes. Yes. So I know that, okay, I won my category, fair enough, happy. But overall, in with all the women, um, I would be probably, I don't know, well, I wouldn't I wouldn't be even top three, I think. So I'm looking at it like that, comparing myself to the best, the fastest. So I don't think anything special of it, if you know what I mean. Because mm, mm. there are faster girls, there are better girls and stuff like that. Yeah, but it must be very difficult if you go to something like that and not even know what to expect. Yeah, you know, yeah. it was a big, steep learning curve yeah, signing like, for this race. Exactly. And I, I think most people, if they start at something like that, they wouldn't start on the Sunday either. So yeah. even for you just to stay in and do the Sunday as well, yeah. you know, you know, it shows your commitment to that. And, yeah, definitely. And... It was it was good. I'm glad I did it and I signed up for it again this year. So I hope they're going to run it, but we will see what happens with this corona. Is that the one, is that the race Tess was talking about that was really difficult? Yes. She was, uh, in your podcast, she was talking about stage five and stage two. And yeah. that was, it was gnarly. It They're was really stages, hard. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm um, honestly, I would not want to be any less skilled on a bicycle <laughs> than I am. It was so hard. I think it was hard because I maybe didn't expect it. I think it, if you, if you expect it, then maybe you're ready. But I was definitely not ready for these tracks. And I was like, oh, my God, how am I going to ride this? Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously used to looking at the track from downhill racing. So I'm used to walking my track, pick up my lines, and then do it. With Enduro, it's riding blind. And even though you have Saturday, I don't know if it's just me, but I genuinely could not remember anything from Saturday practice. I was just happy that I survived the practice day. And mm-hmm. I could not, I was mixing up this, like before I would set off for a stage, I, I didn't know what's coming. I should have maybe GoPro it or something, but I, I don't even know if you can, you probably can't. Um, so I genuinely didn't remember anything what's coming. I just remember stage five, there were these rocks, but I didn't remember anything for Sunday, so I didn't have any advantage. I felt like I would probably do it better blind than go in the second day, <laughs> knowing mm-hmm. I was supposed to know what's coming. So that's bad. Like, I'm really bad with this memorizing from one, if you just go through the track once. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I need to learn that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know people do use GoPros and then watch it back and things like that. Um, I don't know even if it's allowed, though, on the... Yeah, know. there's some hard, there's yeah. some of them don't allow it. I think you're right. Um, I think that's maybe something that is different from, you know, different events. It just depends, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. That, at the time, I didn't know anything, to be honest. I just packed my backpack just full of food. I had so much food, and I've eaten it all. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I was afraid that I'm just going to be somewhere up the mountains alone and hungry so i just <laughs> had like a full backpack of food and that that's what kept me sane that i'm gonna finish <laughs> classic classic so ardmers then wouldn't have been just mm-hmm. such an, an eye-opener for you 
Yeah, so that was, uh, the tracks were obviously less difficult than not in Ortenbrien. And I enjoyed it. It was really nice. It's really good. Um, but again, I felt like I was not racing. Just, uh, it's just very different. I don't know when, when I don't know where I'm going, I feel like I am riding way too carefully, which I don't need to because I can ride blind um, fast enough. But somehow I felt like I was not racing. Uh, so even though I was third, which was really good uh, result, I felt like I could have done way better time wise, not necessarily position wise. I don't know how the times were, but um the feeling from racing, I felt like I didn't race 100%, <laughs> even though I probably did because I obviously didn't do any better. But comparing it with the feeling of finishing a downhill race was a bit different. So I mm. need to learn how to race enduro, and it's really difficult. It's it's something completely different. Just being ready, go for it straight from, from the start and don't be that uh, careful mm-hmm. when when I'm going blind. Yeah, yeah, it's difficult. You're doing normally five stages or whatever. Um, mm. Like, how can you remember all those? Especially if you've never been there. You, you, yeah, you got to get good at, at riding blind yeah. to be successful and something like that. Yeah, it was weird though because on the uh, there was two blind stages where everybody did it blind. And I actually did really well on these. Mm-hmm. So I obviously can ride fast enough, even if it's blind. But there's mm-hmm. a lot of places where I just was riding too carefully. And also places where I should probably pedal more. And I don't think I pedaled enough because by the time I realized there is a place to pedal, I just maybe didn't. So <laughs> there's a lot of things to think about for the enduro races for me. One mm-hmm. another big thing for me is that when I when I race downhill, I always have my protection on. I have neck brace, I have elbow pads, I got I got everything. I wear wrist braces, so it's part of it as well. Is that on the enduro bike, I'm just I have just a little helmet and knee pads, you know. Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little bit harder for me to send something. If I'm going blind, I'm not sure where I'm sending it, and also I'm not protected enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, it's more mostly everything is in my head. Def- like the bike is amazing; it can do anything. So it's definitely in my head. <laughs> Need to mm-hmm. learn how to deal with it. Yeah, it's it's very different, you know. And I suppose people don't really think on it like that as such. You know, when you think of enduro and downhill, you think, okay, well, downhill's steeper, more intense. Mm-hmm. And that's really where it starts and ends, you know, when you think on it. But looking at it from what you're talking about there, it is, they are very, very different races. You know, yeah. take away the steepness and, and everything and the different bikes. Mm-hmm. It's a different style of riding at the end of the day, isn't it? It's very yeah. different. And I, I love jumping. I like big jumps. And that's something what's not really in in the enduro races. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there is a little jump, by the time I realise I could have jumped it, I'm, I've already passed it because I didn't know it's coming. Um, which is, I think, if you obviously better rider, you react fast faster on all these things. So I'm getting there slowly. <laughs> yeah, good, I hope, good. 
I mean, I've only done two, so I'm quite. I would like to know what, what you know, what I'm able to do with the next ones. Yeah. If yeah. I improve, I've definitely improved from the first to the other to the second one. I did like mentally, I did better than Ad Moss. Um, but I still feel I have a massive reserve in the way of racing. Definitely, mm-hmm. just being more ready. It's maybe unfair to ask you because you've only done two enduro races but if you had to pick downhill or enduro which do you prefer at the minute the most uh if i would prefer what is it downhill or enduro yeah oh definitely downhill 100 percent. can you can you see that changing um not sure maybe if i <laughs> as i'm getting older <laughs> maybe <laughs> at the moment i love going fast <laughs> and I like big jumps. I love it. Yeah. You know, even it can be a bit scary, or there are a lot of jumps I didn't do yet because they maybe felt like they're too big or too scary. Mm-hmm. But I love jumping and doing something like that, which is a bit on the edge, while I'm having all the protection on my body <laughs> as well. I think <laughs> it plays a big part of the whole. Um, not being scared, yeah. just being confident that I can do it. With the enduro, the tracks are completely different. I would even say they're a bit more technical. I don't know. Um, and most of the time I'm doing them the first time or you're not like doing everything repeatedly. Mm-hmm. So to be honest, it's probably harder to ride enduro to me anyway. Because you're not doing it repeatedly. You don't know where you're going. Everything's blind. Mm. And if somebody is brave enough to send some big jump blind, then, you know, they have all my respect, really. Mm. But it's much harder for me. Yeah, it takes a very different kind of thought between the two races. They're very different. You have to train your brain differently, I think, for both. Yeah. For me, the problem was as well that I had this feeling in my head thinking, oh, I'm just going for like a family ride out or ride out with my mates. You know, it's like a weekend away, just going for a nice pedal up the mountains. And then you're suddenly supposed to like race down and Mm. then you keep pedaling and chill (laughs) out, you know. So to me, the, the mentality of the whole weekend is like, I'm on holiday here. I'm just pedaling around with my mates. <laughs> yeah. But So I need to change this in my head because you can't do your best going down when you think you're on holiday with your mates. <laughs> no, no. You pull over so to the that, side and wait for your mate to come down yeah, and see how he's getting on. <laughs> exactly. So that's that's the, the feeling in my head <laughs> about what's going on when I'm on an Euro weekend <laughs> and I need to change that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. You'll be more focused. Now, the 2020 race plans are obviously out the window a little bit. Mm. Um, What had you planned or what have you planned for the rest of the season if it ever happens? So, originally I had planned, I think, 13 races. So, I was planning to do the whole Downhill National um, series. Mm -hmm. I was planning to do a few Enduros. Again, not in Ortumbrian, Ardmos. There was another another race planned from the lads who do the Ardmos 
uh, Ardale, so I was signed up for that. So obviously, we don't know. I think it's going to be all next year. Um, so yeah, signed up for all the all these enduro races. I was planning to go to Marzine for a week, but that's probably not going to happen. Just for you know, not racing, mm-hmm. just riding mm-hmm. holiday. Um, but and hopefully. Uh, there is this go on festival on the end of the year. That's like this women's festival organized by Martha and Bex, uh, the go on girls. So that's one of the things I would really like to do again. That was first year last year, and I had really good fun there. So I hope that's still going to go uh, ahead with this yeah. coronavirus, but I can't really. Uh, this is it's not a race it's just a festival for girls and it's mm-hmm. amazing that that was that was one of the highlights of my last year really it's quite cool it's cool yeah yeah are you pleased that you found the the mountain bike community oh yeah all of it i just love people just uh talking to everybody and i think i met you know moving to a different country again is like you don't have many friends around obviously just this community of people who ride bikes and with this whole racing and just going riding you meet so many cool people um and so i think i met through racing i met so many friends now and i i like them all (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah the the community around the mountain bike scene is really cool you know it's hard it's hard to find a, a cooler kind of community in my opinion to be honest yeah i think yeah. it's uh, it's just everybody you know you have something in common with that many people and wherever you go you meet somebody on a bike and you know that you already have something in common so it's easy and you mm-hmm. can easily have a conversation with anybody yeah yeah for sure well uh we don't know what's going on for 2020 but Good luck and whatever happens and and whatever way this thing works out and whatever races you get a chance to enter there, I'm I'm sure you'll you'll do really well. Are you doing any training or anything in the, at this time to prepare yourself for when that all happens? Yeah, so at the moment I'm in this lockdown, so I'm in my house in a little village. Luckily, I can just go on my bike and go straight out from my house for a spin. So I do like an hour <clears throat> just riding on the roads around here. Um, I do exercise at home. I do like my own uh, just gym exercises, really, uh, or like an online, some like a live exercising. Mm-hmm. I started to do yoga, which is like mm-hmm. completely new to me, a bit more stretching. And I started to do, uh, I started to learn how to ride on a trials bike, which is uh, completely new to me. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I've... spending like at least three hours a day doing something really yeah that's cool that's cool I, i've seen your social posts on the trials bike uh <laughs> yeah rad and you know it would be it's very interesting but there's a load of good racers that have come from that background i know i wish i could learn all this when i was a little kid you know it's much harder to learn it now mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's i think anyway i mean yeah. it really helps that i've been doing different kinds of sport all my life but it is really hard so but i hope it's gonna help me with with my racing i think or with with anything because all these skills this they are just basic skills on a bike and a lot of kids and guys they already have these skills because they've done that when they were 10 
Mm-hmm. But it's a bit different when you're learning it when you're 30. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it will help you for sure. The guys I know that done it, you know, for a good long time and done it serious as kids, you know, um, done it, you know, entered competitions, done all that kind of thing. When they went to the mountain bike, those skills carried over and mm-hmm. they're freaking awesome in mountain bikes. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's like, it's just the feeling what's going on with the bike. Mm-hmm. It's uh, controlling the bike at zero speed, which is like major because mm-hmm. using speed for jumping and everything is basically wrong. You should be able to use your skills to do all these things. And it really helps with technical riding, I think. And mm-hmm. it's the same like motocross helps with downhill, trials helps with downhill, downhill helps with the other. It's it's just all sort of connected. And I think more skills you can get on any bike, it will help you with the other, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, it's sure and more skills you gain <laughs> um, more I don't know better you're gonna be hopefully better you're gonna be yeah, yeah. for sure for sure um, where can people find you on socials uh, mainly Instagram just Monica Mixova and I also started my YouTube channel <laughs> wow but it's uh, it's at the beginning <laughs> I think I'm getting slowly better at talking to the camera uh, very slowly so I've only at the moment I only got three videos the last one is my first five days on the trials bike and it's called Czech Girl and the Yorkshire Man <laughs> <laughs> all right cool cool um yeah. yeah so hopefully I will I'll try to do more videos on YouTube at the moment there's no video of me riding downhill actually (laughs) so it's not actually showing what i'm normally doing Mm -hmm. but i will try and get better at filming some more stuff while i'm going racing or while i'm going uh, you know on some riding bike trips Mm -hmm. cool (laughs) excellent well listen thanks so much for coming on it's been a blast chatting to you you've certainly had a very interesting life until now and there's plenty more left um so good luck this year if anything happens uh good luck with the race and good luck with the enduro and the downhill and um we'll maybe get you on again at a later date to, to see how you've gone and how you've progressed oh thank you very much gareth uh, thanks for having me i hope people like it <laughs> yeah it's a blast thanks so much for coming on appreciate <laughs> thank it. you cheers bye-bye that's a wrap for episode 137 I hope you enjoyed that folks it was a great great story Monica is a great girl she's got lots going for her she's so motivated and as I say she's doing all this stuff in her off time to better her bike skills on the trial bike and she's doing fitness in her backyard she's really keen to get things going and have a really good race season if it happens this season but if not it'll be there next year and I'm sure she'll do very well so Monica, thanks so much for coming on the show. I just want to say a thank you to you for sharing your story and uh, for letting us know more about what you've been up to and how you've got into the downhill side of things. is very, very interesting. And I hope everything pans out and goes well for you in this 2020 race season if it happens. And uh, I'm sure it will at some stage. So just keep training, keep doing what you're doing. And I know you'll come out better at the other end because of it. 
Now, folks, if you want to know more about Monica, what she's up to, her YouTube channel, all that kind of stuff, just go to the show notes. You'll find them at mtb-tribe.com. You'll get links there to Monica's stuff. You'll get a little write-up about more about what we chatted about, a little insight about what we were talking about and Monica's story and stuff. So for all them goodies, just go to the show notes, mtb-tribe.com. You'll get all Monica's information there. Now, if you want to help the show and support the show, the best way is by subscribing, rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Every one of your ratings helps boost us on Apple's algorithms and helps spread the good word about the show to more people. Now, if you're not on Apple, you can also find us and subscribe via Stitcher, Spotify and Podbean. And we are on 99% of the podcast platforms out there. So just search for us on whatever app you use and you should find us. Now, we also have a website, mtb-tribe.com, where you can find the complete bike catalogue. Listen and download every show from there. You can also subscribe there and get one email per week with a quick and easy link to listen to the show. Now, you can also get involved on socials. We are at MTB Tribe on Instagram and Facebook. And please share the show that way. I would really appreciate it. Let more of your friends know about it. Let people you know that are interested in mountain biking or getting into mountain biking. Let them know about the show. There's a lot of good info there if they go through the back episodes about how to get involved and how to get interested in certain things. So please let them know it's the best way to grow the show. Get more listeners. And at the end of the day, get people off the sofas and on the saddles. And that's what the podcast is all about. So I just want to say a big thank you for being here again this week. I appreciate you guys getting involved, getting in contact, and letting me know you are listening to the show and what you think. I really do appreciate it. It makes it all worthwhile. But until next week, where I will see you for another episode of the MTB Tribe Podcast, as always, stay safe and stay MTB stoked. <laughs>